Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dead Cat. This is Eric Newcomer. My co-host, Tom Dotan, is here. We're going to talk about crypto. We've got two guests who I will introduce in one second. To set the stakes, Bitcoin is down 60% this year. Ethereum is down 72%. Comparisons to the dot-com bubble are ubiquitous. And like any financial crisis, you have the central government trying to pick up the pieces. But in this case, the central government is seemingly one man, Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of crypto exchange FTX. You know, FTX gave this company BlockFi a $250 million credit facility and is now trying to scoop them up in sort of a fire sale. SBF, as he's known, kicked the tires on Celsius before walking away, is reportedly looking at Robinhood. So there are all sorts of uh, roll-up plays going on right now. To help us understand that, we've got Jeff John Roberts, the crypto editor of Fortune Magazine and author of Kings of Crypto here. And we've also got returning podcast guest, Teddy Schleifer, a reporter at Puck, who is a bit of a SBF whisperer, I think. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks both for coming on. And great to be here. Thank you. I believe the term was obsessive. Was the, uh... <laughs> obsessive? That's what you prefer? Yeah. No, no. That's, that's, that's what you were saying. <laughs> you got to mention Obliquely Teddy in a Bloomberg profile about SBF, I believe, when they said during his daily routines, he's emailing <laughs> with reporters from Fortune. And the, was it Fortune? I know, I know Puck was one. And I was like, yeah, I don't believe I there's that. anyone else at Puck that is emailing that was you, right? SBF, right? I, 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 do, I do not know. I mean, he, he also knows my colleague Bill Cohen a little oh, okay. bit, but, um, but sure. This sort of SBF roll-up, I, I gave some of the headlines, but what stands out to you here? What are the key things happening right now in crypto world? And why, why is he, is he doing this because it's, a, you know, it's a money-making thing or it's a save the crypto world from collapse sort of strategy? Or what's your sense of What's going on here? Is it altruism or capitalism? Yeah, I think he'd probably like to say it's altruism, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, I don't think you do stuff like this out of the good of your heart. It is in his interest to sort of stop the bleeding. And, you know, uh, the question is, can he backstop at all? Was I'm wondering, because there's, you know, just for back, background, you know, this all started with Terra's collapse and it's been this horrible downward spiral with like Celsius, you know, being exposed as, you know, uh, over leveraged and then, um, you know, BlockFi's in trouble. You know, remember, these are like the darlings. These are some like the, you know, the the blue chip names of the crypto sector. So this is not good. Can I just quickly butt in for a definition here? So so Terra, that it's collapsed. That was one of the stable coins, which was supposed to be stable which it clearly was not. Uh, Celsius was a, a crypto lender, right? That was yeah. So like, go park your money, get eighteen percent return. You know, which obviously in a one percent macro economic environment was not going to hold up, and they just kind of like overextended themselves. And then, um, you know, BlockFi they were slightly more respectable. You know, borrowing at eight percent returns, and you know they've just caught. You know, they they put out a lot of positions. They were in turn lending their stuff, but they put a lot of their funds into something called staked ETH, which is basically like a locked up term deposit, and but locked in a way that you can't call the bank manager. So you know, there's this massive liquidity crises and, um, you know, people are angry. You know, there's calls for the Celsius CEO to go to jail. Um, it's, it's ugly out there, but, you know, so far, um, SBF just seems to kind of, you know, be able to walk above it all and somehow stay solvent. So did SBF do anything with Luna? The Terra Luna collapse, or he he said that out. This is another stable coin. No, I I think he avoided it. You know, recall, you know, Terra was the with is this this idiotic mechanism to you know try to peg a currency, right. but just with it was kind of a Ponzi scheme backing it up. As long as it was going up, it worked. Can I ask, can I ask this question? Because I am I am certainly not an expert in, in 
kind of the mechanics of crypto here. I mean, I mean, Jeff, I mean, is is, is there when when we say SBF, there's a distinction right between FTX, right? And Sam, Sam's doing some of this stuff personally, right? Like like the Robinhood stake, it, that's not the corporate company. That's that's like Sam Bankman. Oh yeah, he has like a personal. Well, he has a fund that's doing it, right? I'm not totally clear. There's like Alameda Research, which I understand to be his fund, and there's FTX, but I mean he's the majority owner of it, so I'm not sure if right. he's kind of like the hand behind it all. Well, that's my right. impression, but that's you know better. It's it's just fascinating that you can have like you know you can have be a kind of a leader in crypto who kind of is able to use their personal balance sheet to to make you know investments in other crypto companies or other. I mean, I wonder what the conflict of interest rules here are. And it's unusual, right? It's not as if like Jeff Bezos is personally investing in various Amazon competitors or things like that. Well, I mean, Bloomberg reported that I think they peg SBF's wealth at like eight billion right now. I mean. Who knows how? Well, yeah, I was, I'm very curious, obviously, with every crypto gazillionaire, like how liquid these people are, right? I mean, what is that? Is that based on the last FTX valuation? Is that based on, you know, where Sam's money actually is parked? I mean, obviously, he's spending an extraordinary amount on kind of the things that I'm covering in politics and philanthropy and stuff like that. And I've been very curious about how the precipitous fall in his net worth, at least in theory, would affect these sort of ventures, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's interesting when you look at like the Bloomberg billionaires index, how they, they have these like interesting kind of confidence ratings for how confident they are. Eric, you may remember hmm. these from, from being there just about like how confident someone is in, you know, what Jeff Bezos is worth, or what Elon Musk is worth. And the crypto people, I feel like the confidence ratings are always all over the place. Because right. They, they have a two star on this on Sam's. They do. Two, yeah. out of five. two out of five. What a great system. I didn't realize they did that. I should do that yeah, for my articles. It's good. It's good. It, it, <laughs> the ratings are much better. I think it's new. I think that I relatively new. It's smart. I mean, this is going to go off on a tangent. I don't think we should go down, but um, just for our listeners out there, billionaire wealth uh, uh, assessment, if it's not based on majority uh, public company owned, is a huge amount of bullshit. And, and people should totally. know that. People really should know that. Like the the Peter Thiel net worth calculation, like definitely had to be adjusted by when like the tax returns came out that showed about his Roth IRA, which I don't think was was anywhere accounted for. I, I generally assume that like like I think Jeff Bezos is probably worth around whatever they have him at two hundred billion dollars. That's based on his stake in Amazon, and that's publicly disclosed. Like I'm sure it's ballpark right, but. Lots of other people, I would not be surprised if... How, how do you really know how much John Doerr is really worth? Like, I mean, it depends on how... Right. I, we'll, we'll do a whole separate episode on okay, it because I have a lot of thoughts, but... Okay. Yeah, but, but going back to SBF for a sec, just yeah. continue with this sure. thread. Crypto is even more of a black box because, you know, we know how much... A rough idea of how much trading profits FTX, the platform, might have, but how much that goes into SBF's pocket. And also, in the case of crypto and treasury management, it's like one day he's like, has X amount of Ethereum and Bitcoin, which was at 60, you know, 67,000. Now it's at 27. How, like, you know, did he, how much that did he sell and maybe flip into stable coins or even dollars? And when did he do it? And that's just mm. totally opaque. Like, we know, like, Amazon shares are down, Bezos' wealth is going to go down, and we have a rough idea how much. But, you know, and you, we know when he sells them. But in the case of like the crypto capital, right, you, you have know, to file if you sell a public yeah. company, right? But you don't if you own a crypto. And for a luminary like SBF, for him to sell, you know, a significant stake in any cryptocurrency is probably going to have an effect on the market because it would show some sort of lack of confidence in it. So it's extremely relevant and important to know how often and at what level he's holding any of these coins, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, this current, you know, catastrophe is bringing, as always, calls for more transparency to like what the hell's under the hood, how leveraged are these companies? And, you know, I'm just hoping in the next crypto growth cycle, there'll be new rules in place or best practices, because now oh, it's yeah. just like, you know, cowboys and black boxes and who knows what's what's going on. So I want to circle back to this idea of Sam Bankman-Fried as kind of the de facto, whatever, backstop or almost FDIC of the of the exchange world and maybe broader crypto world. You know, we kind of asked this question of, is it altruism or is it, you know, him just kind of swooping in for what could be savvy investments or acquisitions? I mean, what have you seen so far in these moves? Let's dive into the BlockFi one, because that one is fairly controversial. What do you see as, you know, the state of affairs with BlockFi and, you know, F- FTX's and, and Bankman-Fried's decision to, to want to acquire this thing? There's also that $250 loan, which factors into it somehow. I assume that's secured by by BlockFi's, you know, non-liquid assets. But in terms of the matter, matter stretch of what he's up to, I mean, yeah, obviously this could help stabilize the current chaotic conditions. But, you know, I, what's so interesting to me, I'd love to know Teddy's thoughts on this, is, I've, of course, my expertise is Coinbase, who's just basically dominated the crypto market since day one in the US. Coinbase is in trouble. I mean, I don't think they're going bankrupt or anything, but they're certainly not acquiring anything. They're they're cutting staff. And what uh, my theory for what FTX or what Sam is up to is, especially with Robinhood, look at all those you know customer lists you could acquire on the cheap. And Robinhood too gives them a path to you know selling equities on the blockchain and data with like Celsius and BlockFi. I mean, what a great way to acquire a whole bunch of customer accounts once things stabilize. And then I think you know he could be the new top dog in crypto in the US. Um, you know, I mean, because he's made his fortune on like global derivatives trading, but, you know, I think there's a big play for, you know, retail, uh, you know, retail participants in the U.S. market and what a good cheap way to acquire like millions and millions of customers on the cheap. That's, that's one theory I have, but I think Teddy Are, knows better than me. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah. Is, is it fair to think of, I mean, do you think of, to pose the question back to you, I mean, do you think of FTX as like a Coinbase competitor? Like now, yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna like. FTX, Coinbase, Binance. I don't want to put you on the spot, but yeah, how much do those companies all overlap in their services? But the big difference is Coinbase is in reality the only big retail player in the US. Robinhood tried and they had some luck, you know, with their Dogecoin run, but then they're a basket case now. But I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that FTX is putting their their logo on every umpire in major league baseball you know i mean and you know sam is not a fool i think the long-term game is to muscle into the u.s retail market um mm-hmm. binance never going to happen like you know the reporting of like binance us which is like basically a potemkin village to like blow smoke up the regulator's ass and like they're radioactive from a reg- regulatory point of view um whereas amazingly sbf has also kept a very clean nose throughout all this and like even maxine waters likes him so you know i just think he's very poised to be the first major challenger to Coinbase in the US. Mm. So to you, to you, you see, you see basically buying these distressed assets as sort of, hey, like it's a way to buy, buy customer growth, right? You know, that these are people who, you know, alter, an alternative universe might buy and it might have, might trade, you know, Bitcoin through Coinbase. And now they're in the FTX funnel and then boom, 
Yeah, or, or whatever you want to do with them. I mean, you get the sort of customer lists. And if indeed long term, you know, all of us are going to be like, you know, staking and, you know, equities are going to be moving on to blockchain and stuff like that. If you're playing the long game, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a very smart idea if he has the capital to do it. And this is hardly unique to crypto too. Whenever there's, you know, a massive distress in the industry, if the top players got the capital in the pockets to go pick up the pieces and incorporate them into the empire, I mean, you know, that's what big tech has done for years. You know, I don't think it's purely, you know, to 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 stabilize the industry. I think he's he's got a long-term vision and we're starting to see him execute on it. How do you uh kind of countenance Teddy uh SBF's political donations and his being one of the most active, you know, billionaires in democratic politics with his, you know, business interests? Uh I mean, Jeff was mentioning that Maxine Waters seems to be a big fan of his. I don't know. That's the first I've heard of that, although it makes sense. Has he donated specifically to like the D triple C or, uh, I mean, do you see this as like a very savvy move on his part to shore up, uh, good relations with, you know, what might be a more sympathetic party? Sam is doing lots of things in politics that, that aren't necessarily all interrelated. So the, I'm going to do two buckets. There's like the straight up crypto work that Sam is doing, which I think, you know, you can be as cynical as you want about, you know, his desire to, to capture the regulators uh, and politicians who, um, you know, may have an interest in, in regulating crypto. I mean, so, so Sam, you know, has donated uh, a couple million bucks to a crypto super PAC um, that has also been backed by Andreessen Horowitz. It's called GMI, as in GM, as in the, you know, crypto speak the good morning institute basically so so sam i mean that, that's not any different than like you know your your standard you know facebook ceo or not not facebook but like you know just big tech uh leader you know tries to read uh, hoffman it's it's the reed hoffman playbook like elon musk like donating to you know the the committees that regulate tesla right stuff like that and, and sam is you know spending a lot of time as jeff is kind of knows is spending a lot of time in washington trying to you know get uh, crypto regulators to, you know, have a light touch. He's called for more crypto regulation. He's testified uh, a bunch of times before Congress. Like that's the like standard, you know, CEO of a big company, basic Washington lobbying. That's bucket one. Bucket two, which I think Sam critics don't really believe is a separate bucket, is efforts that Sam is taking to basically promote. Uh, effective altruism, or or the belief that sort of uh, to dumb it to dumb it down, simplify it, basically utilitarianism that there should be uh, more money spent on preventing things that cause harm to mass numbers of people, such as nuclear disasters, future pandemics, the killing of animals. It's effective altruism is very in vogue among the Silicon Valley set, and Sam who, you know, as we know, is only 30 years old and, you know, his company is still private. Sam is spending tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on effective altruist causes, in part through politics. Sam is now is funding right up a ballot measure in California. He spent $12 million on a House primary race for this guy named Carrick Flynn in Oregon, who lost by like 30 points. Pretty big disaster. Well, yeah, I know. Effective altruism is actually... Very smart uh, PR framing because you're like, well, I failed, but it was a long shot. And if you do the math, the return on the investment was great. So it was smart in a modeled version of reality, but not based on sort of political conventional wisdom, which honestly, right. like, good, good, good on you to escape the 
framing of uh, political reporters and how they try to trap people to only betting on things that can be successes. Yes, but those are, those are, those are sort of two. Those are sort of two buckets, right? I mean, there's the there's I mean, and, and and there's the the work he's doing on crypto, which is more straightforward, and there's the work he's doing like in his personal capacity that is not as the FTX CEO, just as someone who has a lot of money and thinks a lot about uh, ways to make an impact in the world. And like now to the recipients or to Washington at large, is it so easy to separate those two things? Like at the end of the day, you know, keeping Sam on your good side, whether that's through supporting kind of pandemic prevention or whether it's supporting you know, a light regulation on crypto. Like Sam is clearly an important person. Right. And there's nothing Democrats want more than this sort of true believer, you know, that's like, Oh, I'm, I have a bunch of crusades that put me on your team because I, I really believe it, which is going to get much more affection that, I mean, in a way that, you know, Elon represents sort of behaving like the actual sort of Trump style Republicans in a way that draws their attention. SBF, I think behaves like Democrats would actually like sort of a democratic billionaire to do it. It's like, I have these strong principles. I have my little crusades and I believe in policy. Like he seems like he's an institutionalist, which is very interesting coming from the crypto world. Right. I mean, how does he fit into the broader libertarian crypto mindset of believing that this is part of a movement that's going to burn it all down and, mm-hmm. and take the institutions that have, you know, withheld capital from the people who deserve it and, and all of the kind of anti-establishment leanings that these guys have, you know, one of the richest, most prominent people seems to be like buddies with Maxine Waters and donating to house races. I mean, institutionalist, you say that you say that just because he's engaging in like engaging. Yeah, frankly, yes. Yeah. And partisan politics, too. Yeah, um, I'm thinking for a sec, though. Um, I just think the thing we have to know about Sam, which makes it so different from the other crypto founders, is his parents, his pedigree. His mom's a Stanford law professor who I've heard works closely with a, a group called uh, Mind the Gap, which is just sort of a big yeah. kind of like fundraising operation for the Democratic Party. And his father reportedly like advises Elizabeth Warren. So, you know, he's out of kind of that milieu, which is very different than the others. And that's also too, I think, adding to his white knight ability because the other, um, you know, crypto founders are really alienating people. CZ is like, you know, got sort of like <laughs> exactly. a lot of people are whispering it's a criminal operation. I'm not saying that's true. Um, and then like he got the CEO of Crack and Jesse Powell out there tweeting like stuff about, you know, abortion and like, you know, people accused him of flirting with like neo-nazism and then brian armstrong and if you don't like it get out of my company <laughs> pretty much yeah and then brian armstrong who is like you know forever like picking culture war fights with the new york times and you know, the coin yeah whether he's right or not i mean it's just like it's not going to help the industry it's not going to help your company you know the new york times is not going to stop doing what they do um you know it might be frustrating to you but he just seems to kind of like keep walking into these like political hand grenades be it black lives matter or what you know whatever it is and whereas sbf has done a very good job of you know step staying above that however uh i'll turn it back over to you guys but what i'm curious about is come november when the republicans are almost certainly going to take congress again and you know do they really want joe biden's biggest you know because and the republicans are more friendly to crypto right now you know libertarianism blah 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 <laughs> what happens when the most prominent guy in crypto is joe biden's biggest donor is he going to be the biggest do we know that is he that- was last time around i believe i mean ted hmm. is guy on that but i he Lots he was uh, he's the biggest like active CEO. There's there's a bunch of qualifications on that. I, I mean, but he's way up there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, like you know, I, I know Eric has made fun of me privately for like being a, a, a Sam obsessive. I mean, the reality is he's like. You know, I think at this point he's probably the second or third biggest donor in the midterms right now. I mean, like he's up, he's up there with Peter Thiel's. So like people are obsessed with Peter Thiel because Peter Thiel's important. Like Sam is spending a tremendous amount of money. Like it's this is not people obsessing over like a five hundred thousand dollar a year donor. Like Sam is now in the twenty to thirty million dollar range, and if you include his lobbying efforts, like he's up, he's up there. And and part of this is that like he's just genuinely interesting. Like what he's funding is stuff that is you know, unconventional off the walls. Like he obviously, I think part of the obsession with him, say part of it is like Sam has like cultivated this image that Jeff is kind of referring to, right? Where he wears shorts all the time. His hair is kind of crazy. He obviously is like very media friendly, right? In a way that like, you know, it's like, it's like Pete Buttigieg. Like you get lots of coverage because like he engages with reporters a lot. Right. And like, and you know, I, I see him, like take interview like interviews from like random fucking newsletters, right? And like there was some story I remember the Times did about like the billionaires tax proposal. And like Sam like was very willing to be like the spokesman for billionaires. I was like, he's very much he's very much clearly enamored with the media. And like, you know, he's young and maybe he'll get tired of it when he like suffers his first hit piece or something like that. But like part part of it is Sam cultivating an image. But part of it, I think, is is genuine in the fact that he is a, a massively significant donor with, you know, obviously very substantive int- uh, issues before Congress, and is like I, I think part of it is him leaning into it and making it like you know having fun as like a political media mocker, and part of it is just like the fact that he's actually doing real shit when most of these people most people aren't right to be clear most most of these people are not actually that interesting. But to Jeff's question, I mean, he's also built up this, uh, you know, public persona and and media presence during mostly during Biden's presidency, where he has sort of been on the side of power. And and so what does the world look like for for SBF when, you know, Biden is on his back foot and he's suddenly getting, you know, even the Republic, uh, uh, the specifics of Jeff's question? I mean, what do you see happening post midterms? Sure. I mean, look, I mean, he he is uh, he's not actually that. Like he is a, a a center left, you know, politician. I mean, he he is donated to sorry, he's a center left donor. I mean, he's he's donated to Democrats, but you know, he, he I don't think he's that liberal conventionally. And yeah, I mean, to to be to, to be fair, that's that's true of every every kind of donor right now or every corporate leader who's kind of made inroads during the Biden. I mean, FTX, Coinbase, Binance. I mean, these. These companies' interests are like fairly aligned in the deregulation. So it seems smart to me that you would have you have true believer like Democrats, and then you have sort of Coinbase where Brian's meeting, posting pictures with, you know, Paul Ryan, and then you have sort of even sort of more right people in Kraken and like having that sort of as an industry, I'm not saying they all got together and sort of assigned their roles. It's almost better that they all play sort of a a cheerleader for each side so that they have friends mm. than, than if they all sort of half cocked it. Right? Is that right, by the way? I, I pose that to both Jeff and Teddy. I mean, that they, you know, the three exchanges are necessarily anti-regulation because it would seem like with the market and environment as it is right now, there's got to be some sort of a push for an FDIC-like organization. It's like, could, you know, Facebook is always like, you know, we support modern internet regulations, right? I mean, part, part of this is like any company 
you can get like, entrenched like that. I mean, regulations are typically right, sure. good for the biggest players. Right, right, right. So I mean, like, I don't know. There's like an element of bullshit that like everyone you know believes. I mean, I mean, the the, the key thing happening at the regulation level right now is there's this bill from uh, Cynthia Loomis and Kristen Joabrand to try to basically have lots of crypto regulated by the CFTC rather than by the SEC. The small, weak regulator rather than the right, strong, right. mean regulator. And we're obviously like overgeneralizing here, but like generally the crypto industry is, you know, in favor of the bill. And, you know, and is that because, Tom, to answer your question, is that because like they are pro-regulation or anti-regulation? Like, I think obviously they sort of know that there's going to be some regulation of this industry and you might as well, you know, handicap it. Or, or kneecap it from from the start, right? But to be fair, like in the regulatory climate, like the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, is implacably, and in my opinion, stupidly hostile to crypto. Hmm. He's tried to seize hmm. on an issue to ingratiate himself with a very powerful Democrat, namely Elizabeth Warren, and so he has been just ferociously attacking it at all turns and not, you know, being remotely constructive. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, it needs some regulation, but you know, and the rumors of him aspiring to be tre- Treasury Secretary are true. Talking about Gensler here, so he. He's willing to throw the crypto industry under the bus to advance his own career. And in that climate, I understand where the crypto industry is like, you know, understandably frustrated and pissed off. But, you know, yeah, of course, you're right. They're simply trying to get the regulation that's best for them and get big and then game the regulatory structure to favor themselves as incumbents. That's as every industry does. But crypto is at a bit of a special juncture, given that, you know, the the implacable hostility of the SEC. I'm clearly more pro-regulation than you, I think. I mean... I, I guess I'm very cynical of the SEC because it's like much easier to crack down after everything collapses. It's like he hasn't done that much, right? I mean, maybe now that everybody's lost money, he's going to make everybody's life miserable, which, I, yeah, it seems unfair. This is Eric's favorite. This is Eric's favorite argument on the show. Your favorite anti-regulation argument. I, just that the SEC acts that they are, they act after bad things happen. Government only comes in on the way down. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess it was bad. People lost money. It's like, weren't you supposed to enforce rules so that people didn't lose money in the first place rather than just say pointing to the money losing and saying, ah, there are the bad guys. I mean, that, that drives me crazy. No, what he could have done is given sort of a roadmap for what do you do? You know, the industry complaints think rightly that he's doing regulation by enforcement. He's right. like, well, just follow the rules, which are extremely vague and haven't been you know, articulated since 2014. And if he gets wrong, we're going to sue you. You know, and that's, I think, frustrating. And then I think Coinbase tried to offer a very modest, like 4%, like, you know, uh, interest earning thing on stable coins. It's a very, like, unambitious thing. And, you know, he freaked out and said, like, no, no. Well, while the while, or like the <laughs> crazy stuff right. was like popping out all around him. And like, he totally missed the Terra stablecoin collapse. So it just seems he's out to, you know, kind of stimmy everything without providing a constructive roadmap forward because he's just, you know, a, a, in my opinion, a venal and entirely immoral, ambitious person. <laughs> wow. The uh, I mean, it's classic that the, you know, biggest sort of company, you know, Coinbase, big public company that wants to be in good favor of the regulators ends up being the one punished the most, even though, like you're saying, yeah, it's trying to behave fair, relatively responsibly compared to the rest of the industry. And yeah, I mean, Eric, yeah, um, yeah. Eric, as the, as as, an, as the Andreessen whisperer here, if I'm the uh, if I'm the Sam whisperer, I mean, um, so did, what do you make of just their kind of lobbying on this issue in general? Just the fact that, like, I was struck um, the other day when there was that, that you know Mark and Ben 
donated a million dollars each to this crypto super PAC I mentioned earlier. G- this is Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, the yeah, two GMI. main founders of, uh, of Andreessen. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, it's their only political contributions of size that have been disclosed like in the last five or 10 years. And I know there's been a lot of reporting just on the ways in which Andreessen is engaging in Washington. But what do you just, what do you make of just their kind of political, you know, it, it, to, to some extent, you know, they are pro crypto writ large, right? And they have, they have tons right. of investments. I, I think it is more yeah. sort of, conventional corporate influence. We will hire the experts. We will hire former people from the agencies so that you will trust them. And I do think Andreessen has been able to build build up sort of a reputation for being some of the adults in the room in crypto. So if you're mm. going to regulate it and you want to turn, you know, it's like, okay, we'll have our own draft legislation. I, I think what's interesting that it, is that instead of being inside of a Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, some big company, you know, forming the Internet Association. Andreessen is saying, okay, we're making startup investments. And before these companies are huge, we need to sort of be the lobbying organization on behalf of all of them. Or I guess they probably don't use the word lobbying. They they give policy policy advice. I mean, Katie Hahn's sort of playing, trying to play a similar role where it's, we're going to, we're going to be the advocates for an industry that if it's regulated properly, we'll make a bunch of money. Uh, I think Andreessen has such great coverage of crypto that it's obvious why it's good for them. I think Katie Hahn, you know, it's still to be seen whether she can show that she's going to win deals based on doing sort of influence peddling that's probably good for the whole industry and not necessarily any one portfolio company. Right, and and she hired, you know, Crystal Hain, who we all know is, you know, uh, a, a political guy who knows his way around Washington, and you know, she's, former head of communications uh, and policy, sorry, at Airbnb and a yeah, as well. Yeah, and he, he was, you know, one of her first hires. And like, what does that, what does that signify um, about kind of, yeah, you know, to some extent, right? It's just like, it's just smart business, right? To hire hire experts who you know can help you craft regulations in ways that are helpful to your portfolio companies. That's just like, right? It's pretty simple, uh, but it's also, you know, it's not as if like. Part of this is just because the industry is so new, right? It's not as if like Sequoia is like lobbying on like e-commerce before Congress, right? Because it's like the, the there's there's not that much space for them to you know throw their elbows around. But Andreessen like could easily become like the most important player in Washington on this issue because right. there's a vacuum. It also, I mean, that's an interesting comparison you make to you know Sequoia during the rise of e-commerce, and I guess what makes crypto so interesting here is that. There's so much more individual, you know, money at stake that, you know, the regular person can get involved with that you would sort of look towards regulation to protect. There just really hasn't been in other industries, right? I mean, e-commerce, you wouldn't see regular people investing in these companies on their way up and getting fleeced, you know, as whatever e-toys falls apart. I mean, maybe as a public company, but it wasn't the same thing as crypto, which is such a widespread, you know, individualized investment that, um, you know, it, it's it's just an interesting state of affairs when it comes to the expectations of regulators uh, for other kind of rising tech industries. Well, also the stakes are higher with crypto because it, it touches the financial rails and like, you know, the banks are, you're fighting the banks. I mean, who did like, you know, uh, pets.com have to fight really, you know, retailers, oh my God, but like the banks have a lot more muscle in DC. And then also the other thing is like, you know, the great game in terms of like, you know, you're messing with the national currency system, like the two most important <laughs> right. prerogatives of state right. power are the 
military, followed by the US dollar, which keeps Americans borrowing low. So there's a lot of like kind of hawks in, you know, the Defense Department and in Treasury who are like, we got to like, smother this thing in, the, in his crib because and it's the reality is china and russia have also been encouraging crypto stuff as a way to like dislodge the u.s dollar as the world's reserve currency i'm sorry i'm sounding like i'm going down like some weird rabbit hole but but china like, is china's cracked down right but i'm i'm saying they're they're fanning like competitors to the dollar in the form of cryptocurrencies i mean if crypto really takes off and people don't need the u.s dollar anymore that's a sort of a geopolitical catastrophe for uncle sam so you know that it's not like a binary thing but they're i'm just saying that's a worry like if you're sitting there trying to like sell you know pet food online is different than trying to like you know challenge right. the national currency to frame up like the regular i i totally agree with what you're saying i mean to frame this up you know, the Uber strategy, which I think is representative of the broader tech strategy, is get penetration fast enough before regulators can do anything. Then there's adoption. Consumers are attached to it, uh, including politicians. And then no one's really going to ban it. And then you have the leverage rather than asking for permission before things start. Crypto right. has obviously succeeded in that playbook in that it's sort of deployed and out there before there's any real action. I think the question mark for me is how does that strategy play out in a huge downturn, right? It's one thing like if Uber is still roaring, people love it. But in the crypto world where people are losing a lot of money and a lot of consumers feel screwed, sure, you have the political penetration, you know, with like SBF, like we've been talking about. But if you have all these regular people who've lost a lot of money on it, does that sort of uh, deploy and then lobby strategy work. I, I don't know. Like, Jeff, how much do you think it's possible? Like, are you open to the idea that, like, core features of the crypto world get sort of banned out of existence in the United States? Or how much existential regulatory risk do you think we still face? I think we're past that. And also because the it's, it's just too big and too, you know, there's just too many people working in it. But also I think the banks are moving in right now. My read is next era is going to be stable coins, which are just a superior way to move money around and watching the Goldman's and JP Morgan's and Fidelity, you know, get a piece of that. So, you know, it's it's in terms of what it means for retail investors, TBD. But, you know, I, I you know, I don't I don't think it's gonna be crushed out of existence. Um, you know, I think the next, you know, half year is gonna be really rocky. But it's just even now, after all the carnage, it's much bigger than it was two years ago, you know, even after all the disasters. And it's just, you know, this university class is graduating all these like blockchain native people. You're just not gonna stuff this back in the bottle again. But the shape it takes is is a jump ball, you know, between the banks and the traditional financial system and you know, the whole lot of other things and how it's gonna shake out. I'm right. not sure. The crypto nightmare would be, sure, it's not getting ex regulated out of existence, but it's regulated in such a way that only like JP Morgan and Citibank can comply or something. And then, then that's, yeah, tough. Well, that also seems to be one of the major risks that the crypto companies have right now when it comes to regulation is that they're not coming at it from a place of strength. Like if this discussion were happening while crypto was, you know, on the up and gaining more and more value and people weren't, you know, losing billions of dollars, then maybe they would have a better kind of leverage in the negotiations. But whereas it is now, you know, they're basically, like Eric has said multiple times, you know, regulators are coming at it as they're on their way down. So it's going to be completely in the, you know, power center of all the institutions to say that we're going to write the rules in, in favor of our interests, because what are you going to do if we don't? 
you have absolutely no, you have no yeah, sway. But, I mean, I mean, they're playing, the crypto industry is playing a long game here. They've got the more sophisticated in DC and like, there's that, you know, Lummis Gillibrand bill that, you know, they all know it's not going to pass this year, but they're on a kind of three, four year timeline is what they're doing. And, you know, there's, there's, they're building allies. And I think in the long term they're going to, you know, and, and in the short term, they're simply going to ride it out, wait for the Republicans to take Congress and, you know, just lay groundwork to, to, to get the legislation through. I think this, you know, the, the prospect of them being crushed entirely has diminished a lot although you know the next couple months who knows uh, teddy where do the the peter Thiel acolytes sit on on all of these mm. issues uh you know i guess i'm thinking of masters and um yeah and jd vance well i was i was gonna i was gonna bring this up to to, to just kind of round out the political discussion i mean like the, the right more broadly is like very pro bitcoin like bitcoin maxi you know that's their the conservatives are right. Peter Thiel uh, promised us it would be bigger than the entire value of the U.S. S and P five hundred. I think. Okay, uh, I thought it was um, the whole like, equities market. I don't know. Yeah, some huge you something know. absurd. <laughs> yeah, but but like the, the politics is the issue. I mean, like yeah, I mean there there is the Thiel acolytes who are you know very pro Bitcoin and like you know for instance Blake Masters has like done NFTs of zero to one, which is his book. You know very, that sold a tremendous number of copies with Peter Thiel. He's done like NFTs to do campaign fundraising, which is like a new frontier and certainly an innovative way to uh, raise money for your campaign, innovative way to use your your mega donor benefactor to your benefit. But, you know, there also are like far left people who are, you know, somewhat crypto curious, right? And um, to some extent, this is generational, right? Like, you know, Jeff brought up Warren earlier. I mean, there's sort of the old guard of people who are anti-crypto and there's like the the younger generation, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise that you see the people who are more, you know, the millennials are pro-crypto and whether they're pro-Bitcoin or pro-crypto more generally, which I think is the more position on the on the far left, you know, you, you see some lefties kind of talk about crypto as empowering people of color, you know, taking power away from Wall Street. There is like a lefty kumbaya. I'm skeptical. Pro- I think I think that's overplayed by by crypto people. I want to. I definitely want to table that for another episode. I don't think there is a strong pro leftist crypto element. I call BS. All the crypto people I talk to are devastated by the fact that they view the left as uh, inherently against crypto. Yeah. um, Uh, Nice, nice dreaming. I mean, Jeff, do you disagree? You think there's a strong leftist crypto world here? I don't know. I think you're being a little cynical. You you seem like in what the crypto crowd would might call you a no coiner, Eric. But that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and you coins. might be right. I, I own coins just so they can't call me that. I don't know what you call that. Uh, co- willing to lose money despite you know just despite people. I guess is what I am. But uh, yes. All right. I don't think it's totally kumbaya. I mean, like you look at the finance committee hearings, you're seeing like even AOC sounds moderately interested. Uh, Congressman mm-hmm. Richie Torres in the Bronx is very into it. You know, just says there's like food deserts, there's banking deserts. And I think a lot of poor uh, people in the in this country have a right to hate the banks and they like the idea of crypto alternatives. The use of crypto by like, you know, um, you know, black and Hispanic communities in, in this country is higher than whites. So I think there is something there. And I do think there's tension in the Democratic Party in that like Elizabeth Warren frigging hates it and people crypto and people take their marching orders from her. And I think a lot of young Dems are frustrated in part because they're being shut out of fundraising opportunities and they're they risk seeding like the you know the, the crypto thing to Republicans. It's sort of be like seeding the internet to um you know to Republicans or Democrats. But you know, who knows? It's early days. You might be right at the end, Eric. We'll see. Here's my last question. I mean you know, a key part of this conversation has just been the centrality of 
Sam Bankman-Fried and, you know, some of these other exchanges, you know, isn't that, doesn't that just cut against the core of crypto, like that it's supposed to be decentralized? I mean, the idea that there's, there could be sort of a bailout in any sense, even if it's sort of a total, you know, free market thing. I mean, clearly SPF is worried about contagion risk here and thinks that he needs to make some cheap buys along with maybe getting a deal. But I don't know. Is there is there anything about this that cuts against the the core of what crypto is supposed to be about if you're having sort of a bailout in some way because wealth is so consolidated that someone someone can afford to do it? Doesn't every industry have winners and losers? Just to the extent that like there's always gonna be some centralization, right? I mean, the fact you're starting a company at all and you know, raising outside money and, and accumulating customers, like I understand that as like a theoretical concern, but like at the end of the day, well, just like so much of the heart of what excites people about crypto is sort of the da- a DAO, or yeah, just that a lot of people can yeah. be involved. And but the solutions we're seeing are sort of big, rich entity who has a lot of control over the market, has probably made a lot of money from their visibility into the market, further consolidates the market. To me, what's happening wouldn't speak to sort of most of the virtues that people talk about when they talk about crypto. Yeah, no, I mean, Eric, the the difference, I think, Teddy, between other industries and crypto is other industries don't have, like, their central theology is not decentralization. (laughs) And, you know, like, you know, devolution of power to the common man. You know, you don't see, like, you know, Bezos running around saying that. But that tension's been part of crypto since the beginning. It's never been as, you know, decentralized as it professes to be. It's always, like, an ideal that's just over the horizon. Just let's get a little more decentralized and, you know, it's, it's, that's Story's been there since day one. Yep. Great. Well, Jeff, Teddy, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, fun, fun to mix it up on, on crypto. You bet. That was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.